if you don't know, if I don't know if my eyes, Nan's gonna smack me in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Ooh, ah, ah, this is my podcast. Ooh, ah, ah. Listen here, I'll make you laugh. Ooh, ah, ah. <laughs> Honestly, let's just cut it off there. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue is Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Allison Daz, and if you're tuning in for the first time today, welcome. I will try to be on my best behavior this episode. Today, I have a guest on the show that I am beyond lucky to have, uh, here to chat about overcoming his traumatic brain injury and how, you know, shifting his perception helped him through a significantly dark period of his life. Please welcome to the show, Ryan Nurse. Hello. Hello, Allison, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate you allowing me to be here today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you. I can't wait for, for to to dive into to dive into everything. <laughs> so, do you want to start by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Maybe start with um your TBI and how that came to be. Yeah, no, of course. So, obviously my name's Ryan Nurse and I am a traumatic brain injury survivor and thriver. So, just over 9 years ago now, coming close to 10 years ago, I was victim of a traumatic brain injury where I was attacked on the way home from a nightclub. And with no physical signs of trauma at all, I just went home as usual. And the last thing that I remember was stepping out of the car that I got a lift home in and walking up to my parents' front door. And I remember putting my hand down on the, the handle of the front door. And that was the last thing that I remembered. And obviously from now on, I can just speak in terms of what my loved ones noticed and viewed and saw, obviously. and. I went home, and this is, again, speaking from my parents' angle, point of view, is when I went in, I'd done what I usually done. And this is uh, early hours of the next morning, right? So on a Sunday morning, this would have been. And apparently I, I took my clothes off. I folded them up neatly, put them on the side where I always put them. Uh, I don't know if I had a glass of water, maybe. And I went to bed as usual. And when I was in bed, I was uh, I don't know if I was heavily snoring, but I was, I was doing things that weren't. Uh, say normal wasn't usual to me and at the time I slept in the, the bedroom with my my uh, siblings like my brothers too so we're in the bedroom together and my younger brother at the time was in the in the same bedroom as me and he was he was under 10 years old I'm sure at that time so he's obviously a tiny young young lad at the time and he obviously witnessed me all of a sudden vomiting I was vomiting it was very aggressive and it was like literally jet black in colour. And my parents obviously come in oh, and wow. they, yeah, they hadn't seen anything like this before at all. So they were they were obviously worried. And obviously my dad being my dad just thought, Oh, he's he's drunk, is it like black Zambuca or whatever? I, I don't even know because I don't even, I don't even drink it. I've maybe tried it once, <laughs> but I don't like it. So my dad apparently was just saying to my mum, like, he's had some shots and stuff, like that's that's why it's so black and Again, they were my parents were like, is it? They wasn't sure. And this happened like multiple times and they were getting worried. And luckily for me, somebody managed to text my brother and said, is Ryan OK? Because there was an incident after the nightclub and that obviously triggered alarm bells. And after that point, my parents obviously called the emergency services and then an ambulance was obviously rushed over to me. And as soon as the ambulance and the paramedics arrived, uh, my parents just said it was like all hell broke loose. Literally, they were upstairs in my bedroom, took me out of bed, onto the stretcher, down the stairs, in the back of an ambulance. And within a matter of moments, I, I was off and being carted away. And my my mum 
went in the ambulance behind, which was sort of in pursuit, I guess, and following the ambulance that I was in to the to the local hospital. And my dad obviously had to stay at home with my younger siblings and just try to figure out what, what had happened to me. So, again, my mum arriving at the hospital, very confused, wasn't sure what was going on, just had to sit in the waiting room on her own, just basically waiting. And she sat there for, this is again just talking from what my parents had told me, my mum said like she was sat there for, let's say, half an hour, I'm sure it was, with nothing coming back. She she just heard just noises, as you hear in a hospital. And then all of a sudden, she heard a voice, which she said was like identical to my voice. Uh, oh, she said that, like this just big sense of liberation from her shoulders, just like this this weight had been lifted, like, oh, he's OK, he's, he's up and running, like he's, he's awake again. So she goes walking down the corridor and... She looked through the one of the hallways and looked through one of the doors, and this voice—it wasn't me. It was, it was a, another another lad that sounded like me, maybe, but it wasn't me. So again, my mum was just like, "Oh, huh. just got it, got it," sort of thing. Thinking, oh, "I wish it was him," but it it wasn't. <laughs> so she sat there and she waited and waited and waited, and she wanted answers, obviously, because she's just left there in a waiting room. Your son's not waking up, and he's he's been carted off. So. Luckily, say, a paramedic come out and then she finally got a chance to ask a question, uh, like, what's happening with him? But they wouldn't they wouldn't tell my mum. So, again, she was just waiting and waiting and waiting. And it got to the point where finally, um, say, a specialist or a paramedic come out and said, look, it looks to us like it's been some sort of head injury and we're going to have to we're going to have to transfer him to another hospital. So my mum was like, what, like, confused? Like, what do you mean a head injury? Because obviously there was no signs of trauma. There was no blood or bruising, etc. So just my mum was just confused. And they said, yeah, it looks, it looks really quite bad. Yeah, so no we're gonna have, Yeah, we're going to have to transfer him to a, a, a quite a specialist hospital, maybe an hour's journey away. So what they said is we prepared him, ready to take him via air ambulance. And they were going to take me uh, via a helicopter. Again, my mum was just like, oh, my God, like this is one of the worst things that she's ever heard. So... A little bit of time went by, maybe 10, 20 minutes, I'm not sure. And my dad arrived, obviously, because my, my younger siblings managed to get them to get taken care of by, say, relatives, loved ones or uh, neighbours, etc. Yeah. My dad my dad arrived at the hospital and they, they, they were like, what's going on? And my mum said, oh, they're going to take him via an ambulance to a specialist hospital. And they, they were just gutted, I guess. And then uh, paramedics come out and they were saying... Don't worry, we're not going to take him uh, via ambulance, uh, via helicopter anymore. We're going to take him via an ambulance, just like on blues and twos with the flashing lights. So they were like, so, "So what do we need to do?" And they said, "Well, you can just follow us up there." So parents obviously jump in the car and they're they're racing up there, following this ambulance or trying to follow the ambulance, obviously failing to. Um, and they finally <laughs> finally arrive, say at the the next hospital. Let's say half an hour, an hour, yeah, an hour, an hour and a bit later, even. Um, but then they got to the hospital and I was already in there, obviously being operated on this time because I went straight in to be operated on. So my parents arrived slightly after the ambulance had arrived. And again, they were confused. They didn't know where to go, who to ask. So they were basically, again, speaking from my parents' point of view, they were walking around for hours trying to figure out where I was. And they finally got to speak to somebody who knew a bit a bit more about the situation I was in. And they say, look, he's in operation, he's in theatre at the minute, and when he comes out, we'll let you know. So, again, they just had to sit in the cafeteria, I guess, and just have something to eat and 
just sit there and just wonder what what's, what's happened to him or what's happened to our son. So then you could just imagine what, what my parents were going through at that time. Like, it must have been awful. And Oh, my God, yeah. Would have been an yeah. emotional roller coaster for them. Yeah, of course. So this was, I'm sure I went, I'm sure the ambulance arrived at my house at maybe 11-ish, took me into the hospital. So I would have probably got to the first hospital to say 12-ish. Um, let's say we got to the next hospital one. This is just all figures that I'm just making up here, but this is rough time. So let's say, let's say 12 to 1 o'clock, I'm in the next hospital so being operated on. My parents didn't actually get to see me until 6 o'clock that evening after being operated on. And what it was, they got, they got they got to see me oh whilst in a coma because uh, they obviously had to operate on me and I suffered from a fractured skull and a blood clot due to a bleed on the brain. So I had to be put into an induced coma due to the severity of the injuries. So my parents obviously heard this news and they were just like, oh my God, this is like the worst news that any parent could ever get. Like your child is in a coma. And then when they got to see the specialist, like the people that had done the operation on me, they said, look, this is, just want to be totally honest with you, like, he'll be lucky to survive the night because the injuries are so severe that he sustained, like, it doesn't look, it doesn't look great for him at all. And if he survives the night, like, it, he'll be a miracle to survive the night on a life support machine as well. And I did, obviously, survive the night. And the second day, <laughs> no, yeah, no, nothing really happened. The second day, it was just like, parents drove an hour's journey to sit and watch a machine leap. That's, that's what they done, right? So there wasn't any hope for me. So again, specialists were like, it's amazing that he's survived the night and every day as, as it comes, like if he survives tonight, even better, like, but they're not, they're not getting anyone's hopes up. And then the, the, yeah. probably the, the worst day for my parents was on the third day. And again, the third day, they, they, they drive up there, parents, loved ones drive up and specialists gather my parents in like a little separate room on the third day and they said look because because he's not res- responding at all he's got zero brain activity and he will not survive this like the injuries that he's sustained he will never survive this and we advise you to think about switching the life support machine off so again for any parent like this is just probably well there's no other worse news than your child is dead so they, they want to switch the life support machine off on me but yeah my- no kidding i couldn't imagine yeah, so my dad ultimately saved my life because there and then he just stood up and he took action and he said, no, the machine isn't getting turned off because Ryan takes his own time to do anything in life. So, like, he needs that time. So you guys, you need to give him that time that he needs. And, again, the specialist was just like, he couldn't say anything about that. So my dad, luckily my dad done that because that did ultimately save my life. Wow. And, again, the specialist made my parents aware, like, Look, we're not going to switch the machine off today, tomorrow. Maybe, maybe in a few days' time, we can think about it. But he probably won't survive. And if, and all of a sudden they're saying, if if he ever survives, he will never walk again, and he will never talk again, and he'll be in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. So my oh my goodness, yes. <sighs> so it just makes me now, obviously looking back, appreciate my life because just going on from that, what I'm talking about there. As in, my parents went to the hospital every single day, twice a day. Some days they do one hour there, one hour back to, say, grab something to eat, sort children out, then to go back again. So they're doing four hours worth of travelling some days. And 
They also met people that were in the same position as me. They had loved ones. It could be brothers, sisters, daughters, uncles, aunts, you name it. They, they had a loved one in the same position as me. But, however, they, they listened to the advice of the specialist because with anything in life, if you want something doing, you are somebody that knows and that's trained and that is a specialist in that specific area of life. Whether it could be fixing a car, it could be plumbing, it could be doing some electrics on your house. You ask the person that's got the knowledge in that area so these people that have got loved ones that my parents managed to meet in the same position as me they listened to the, the advice of the specialist which was to, to turn the life support machines off on their loved ones because there was no hope as to say for them and sadly the inevitable happened those those people did die and it makes me obviously be super grateful mm-hmm. for my dad taking that action but it also makes me question like what if like what if those people would have done the same like would they have turned out the way I turned out or would they would have had a maybe one more day, two, five more days? Or would they have a chance to just see or speak to their loved ones again? Like, who knows? Like, you can't live life saying, what if? But in this situation, I just think, like, what if? I feel so gutted for these people that have lost loved ones. But on the other hand, I feel super grateful for my dad, especially, for taking that action. Because if he didn't do that, I wouldn't be here. So leading on from that. Yeah, so... I've got a, sorry, I've got a question. Mm. When your parents came to visit you at the hospital while you're in that state, did they do anything like play music for you or read to you or talk to you? Um, or did they just come and, like you said, watch the ma- the machine bleep? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a brilliant question. So, yeah, so at, at the start, it was obviously just watch the machine bleep. And then it was like, right, we're gonna we're gonna give him a chance. We're gonna let him try and come round on his own because at this point I was still I was still um, under sedation, like in a coma. So the very first time that they uh, reduced the sedation and tried to bring me out of the coma, I wasn't breathing by myself and like my, my, my lungs wasn't working by themselves. So if that wasn't happening, I wasn't gonna survive. So they had to put me back into the coma. And then the next day they were like, look, it's not looking good. This is like basically fight fight or flight type moment on the on the next day they said like if it doesn't work now like he's, he's never going to come around so yeah my parents were just fingers crossed and saying come on Ryan you can do it and stuff and luckily that day I did I started to breathe on my own so straight away my parents were like yes he's alive and they were just like he's alive and uh, it's not like I just sat up and started speaking to them or anything I'm, I'm just breathing on my own like, eyes still closed still unconscious basically so over the next, say, week period, I was still coming out of the coma. I wasn't doing anything for, say, another week because my parents were there and they were watching me. But then, like you say, they were asking me questions and they were, they were like, say, rubbing my leg, rubbing my shoulder, rubbing my head or whatever and just say, oh, can you hear us and stuff? And I wouldn't do anything. Um, but then, like I say, this would have been, say, another week in. I, I started to maybe twitch. I think I twitched a hand or, or a toe twitched. So my parents and my loved ones go run into the doctors and they say, look, his toes just twitch. And they'd be like, no, it doesn't mean anything. Like he's, um, it's just electrical impulses. So that, that just happens. Like don't get your hopes up. Mm. Like he, he still might not come around. So again, my parents just kept that hope because at that time, that's all they could have hope. That's all they could have hope. And I believe hope mm-hmm. stands for have only positive expectations. And that's all my parents had at that point was just hope. So they held on to that hope. And I they love kept that. Our, yeah, they kept asking me questions. They kept saying, Ryan, can you hear us? Can you hear us? And then one day literally made them so excited. So I'm obviously there just laying there, not doing anything. 
parents come out with my grandparents too and my my nan yeah she's um she's a pretty stern lady like you wouldn't you wouldn't get on the wrong side of my nan because like she'd give you a whack bum or something especially when we was kids <laughs> so um like, you always been nice to your nan and you wouldn't, you wouldn't do anything bad around your nan because you end up getting a slap bum so um nan leans down this is obviously speaking from their point of view my nan leans down and she goes in my ear and she went Ryan, open your eyes. And apparently uh, my right eye just opened, just stared at her. And they were like, yeah, he's awake. And they were just like amazed. <laughs> again, they they went running to the to the doctors. And the doctors were like, no, this is just electrical impulses. So they were like, what? So, if you don't, if I don't open my eyes, Nan's going to smack me in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after that period, again, this is me. I was still out of it. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of me in this, in this place at the minute. So they're asking me then questions saying, Ryan, do you have a car? And I'd like shake my head because recently, I, before that, I sold my car and then I bought a motorbike instead. So they're like, "Do you have a motorbike?" And I apparently I'd nod my head only a slight bit, but they see and they're like, "He's responding." So this is the time when they knew I was I could hear what they were saying. So they would just ask me random questions apparently, and I would I would wow. just shake or t- it would be a tiniest movement, but there was so minimal minimal movements they could understand and see what I was doing. So again, that, that's when they knew that I was I was truly there, and for me, the first time that I knew I was sort of back on earth, and the reason I say this is because in that coma, I actually suffered an out-of-body experience, and I know you've probably heard a million stories about this before, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, I, I didn't believe in this stuff before, like, I've experienced it, but after experiencing this, I can only speak from my experience, but I knew what I see, and I knew what I, I've, I went through, and I literally, I see, like, myself, what I, what I can see and this isn't made up, again, this is just talking from exactly what I saw. And it was so clear. I literally saw myself, which I honestly believe now, is through the eyes of my creator. Like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in whatever. But I, I honestly believe that I was looking through my eyes through someone or something else. And I truly believe that there is, whether it's the universe, whatever you want to call it, but there's something or someone out there that knows a hell of a lot more than any of us do. And I won't go into this, but... I've written this, I've written this down and I literally, I've got a whole story on what I saw. Basically, I witnessed myself being operated on, I witnessed myself being pushed down a cobbled street on, on that hospital bed and I got shoved through, and literally, it sounds like a brilliant movie, this, but I literally got shoved through a wall and I, I, I fell through what seemed to be just nothingness and I come out of a flap the other side and there I am in a hospital bed and I, I honestly saw myself being operated on and I was just viewing this whole situation through another set of eyes. And then when I did view it through my eyes, I opened my eyes, I see this curtain open and I just saw every single face in front of me that I've ever I've ever come across in my life, whether it's someone I've bumped across in the street, uh, someone I've known for years, and every single face was in front of me. And this is all just in this coma, what I experienced. And the people that I'd see at the front of my bed was my loved ones, my parents, my best friends, and they were all just crying their eyes out now that I look back on it, I've been looking into this. And again, this is my opinion. I honestly believe that I'd been sent to this to this earth. I, I believe that we're all here for a reason. I've been sent to this earth to say complete some sort of mission to help other people. And I hadn't done what I'd been sent to do. And I've been sent back. And that's, that's the only reason I got sent back. And like I say, I don't believe in God or anything like that. But I do believe in the universe. Let's say the universe, because... What I saw was incredible, and I won't go into that too deep because I could speak forever on it, but I suffered this out-of-body experience, and when I must have been coming back round, I heard this beep, 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 which I thought was still this near-death experience or out-of-body experience, but it wasn't. It was the machine beeping next to 
literally next to my head on this side. And it's beeping, it's beeping, it's beeping. And then I remember I this is the first time I ever opened my eyes and remembering it. And I opened my eyes and it was just it went from like cold to warm. Like I was freezing cold and then I just suddenly become warm. And I opened my eyes and I looked around me and it was just quite quite dark. And I realised I was just in this room on my own and it was just bleep, bleep, bleep. Because I thought it was an, I thought it was some sort of an alarm clock to start with, but then I looked around and I realised that I'm connected up to some sort of <laughs> oh machine. I'm like, I'm thinking, am I dreaming this? And I looked down at myself and I had a tracheostomy in my throat here, like a tube down my throat, wires in my arms. I had, ah, oh, you name it. I've got all these pads on my body and I'm just laying there in a room, in the dark room on my own. And I'm just like, oh my god. I'm closing my eyes and I'm opening my eyes. I'm like, is this real? And I started sort of touching myself and I'm just like. I couldn't understand it. I was just thinking, what am I going through? And then just all of a sudden, all the memories from that, say, night prior to the attack, it all just come flooding back. And I just remembered every single thing that had happened, like the night out, the attack, what had happened, how I got back. And it all just come flooding back. And I just started crying my eyes out. And I'm just there on my own, obviously, crying, sobbing. And, yeah, I just sort of cried myself back to sleep. And then, obviously, the next more because that was obviously early morning since that early morning i'll say into the afternoon my parents obviously arrived and then that was the first time i remember myself physically being awake and my parents turned up and they'd done what they usually done obviously asked questions and stuff and this time i was looking at them and i was nodding but this left eye because of the impact it wasn't open and i didn't realize at the time so i'm just looking through the one eye and they're asking me are you okay and i'm sort of still doing the nodding and stuff but i could barely move like i could move my hands and stuff but it was so tiring so I remember they're coming in, I used to put my thumb up, but even that took quite, a, it was quite a strain just to put my thumb up. So they come in, I put my thumb up, and they're like, you can hear us, he's putting his thumb up. So yeah, I used to do that for quite a few days, put my thumb oh up. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, that, that whole period from, say, waking up to realise that I am there, um, I I did progress pretty quick, you know. So say over that week period, it must have been only another week period, I was obviously bed bound. They moved me around different different wards. So I went from ICU on my own to another one. I think it was on my own, and then I went to another um, sort of almost like I don't even know what they want to call it. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like end of life ward. But it was with other people, so people that have had horrific injuries that are literally struggling for their life. And I was in there with them, so I was around other people, but I was still pretty bad at that point. But I felt myself progressing, and it got to the point. Obviously, I had a tracheostomy in my throat. And then my parents would, they, they they had this thing from the hospital, which was like a pointing board. So I'd point at things that I'd want to say. So if I'm having a conversation, I'd write it out on a piece of uh, this this wooden board. So again, my parents were like ecstatic. They were like, this is incredible. Like he can understand us and he's, he's writing things out by pointing and stuff. And after that, I just, yeah, I began to pr- progress um, to the point where the tracheostomy come out. And I felt so much better, so I had to have, I had to have a pad over there because obviously I had a hole in my throat. Once that come out, again, I, I really sort of come on leaps and bound after that come out. Um, sort of most of the tubes come out of my arm. Then the one come out. Oh, yeah, go ahead. oh, I was gonna say when I heard you, can you tell people um, when you saw yourself in the mirror for the first time after your accident? Yeah, so this is literally what, what I'm, I'm just about to come onto this right now. So. Yeah, progressing. Okay. Obviously, tra- tracheostomy comes out because, um, yeah, there's some funny stories. And again, I'm, I'm writing all this about the funny things that happened whilst I was in that position. Um, I literally, I'm just going to brush over it. But basically, I decided to try and take myself to the toilet 
with a tracheostomy and, and all the wires and I didn't realise I didn't have any strength in my legs. I lifted myself off the bed and I just fell down, almost taking the machine with me. Uh, so that's another story anyway. But Oh, my um, God. Yeah, I survived that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, tracheostomy come out, wires, <laughs> wires come out. And, yeah, I was progressing to the point where parents come and they, they knew I was asking questions and by writing on this thing, couldn't speak. So very first time that I took myself to the toilet. So obviously I had to learn to walk again. So only prior, a few days prior to this, I'm on a Zimmer frame and they're learning me how to walk, teach me how to walk. And I was so weak, like my legs didn't want to move, but I was just determined to get walking, get moving. And yeah, the very first time I took myself to the toilet was such a surreal experience. So I'm in this ward with other people. My bed's here <laughs> and the toilet is on the other side. I'm not Such even joking. A good sentence. Yeah, right. So it's literally let's say ten it's ten steps. It's ten steps from my bed to the toilet door, yeah? Um, or the restroom, whatever you want to call it. And um I I get on my Zimmer frame, I stand up and all all my loved ones are there at this point as well. Um to be fair, it was like two to a two to the bed, like two loved ones. But at this point I don't know what happened. There's about ten of them around my bedroom, family and friends, and they must have snuck in or something. So they're all there and they're like, you okay? Do you want to help? And I'm like, look, I'm fine. I'm going to, well, I couldn't really speak. I'm like, Ugh. so I make my way over to the thing. And I'm on my Zimmer frame and I'm taking the steps across. I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And then I make it there. And to be fair, I was pretty out of breath just just, just doing that. So I'm at the toilet, close the door. And again, it's, I don't know if you've been in a hospital toilet before, which has been pretty dark and dingy. And it's been like, oh, like you can't really see anything. So I go in and obviously go for a wee and, obviously do what I need to do, flush the toilet, turn around to wash my hands. So sink's there, press the press the button on the sink and I'm washing my hands, so washing my hands. And I'm looking down, but as I'm washing my hands, I just, I just get this feeling like someone's staring at me and I'm like, I don't know, do you ever get, you ever had that feeling like someone's staring at you? Like I've heard people say this before, like someone's staring at you. You could be out in a restaurant or a shopping or something. Yeah, you get a feeling. Yeah, that feeling, right? So I, I had that feeling of someone's staring at me, but I'm in this dark room of my own. So I'm just like, so my, my my head's like getting hot and it's like someone's staring at me giving me like the, the staring eyes and I'm like so I just sort of slow down wash my hands and I start to look up and as I look up I get to like this height and I notice there's like the mirror in front of me and then I'm like oh so just bearing in mind like I I didn't see myself prior to the, the, the attack like going out that night and in all honesty like, I'm not gonna sound big-headed but I thought I looked pretty decent on that night out I thought I looked pretty good so Looking up, just, just, when you look in when you look in the mirror, you look at yourself, and especially before a night out, you go, "Yeah, I look good." Like you make sure your shirt's done up and your hair's done and stuff. So, yeah, that's all I remember my face looking like. So I'm really? I'm, I'm looking up, I'm looking up, and but I'm looking up slowly because I just get this burning sensation. And as I as I look up, like my eyes just make contact with the eyes of this thing in the mirror, and I look I look at it, and straight away I just look back down because I couldn't. Yes, what's the word? Like, I couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't understand it. And I just, my heart starts racing. I'm like panicking. I'm just like, oh my God. And it was just almost like information overload. Let's say that because it was, it was like, it was scary. It was, it was I don't know. I couldn't understand it. So I just, I just looked down and I just, I'm trying to take it all in. I'm trying to take it all in. So I'm like, what? So I do, I do it again. And I just made contact again with this thing in the mirror. But this time I see it and I'm just looking and I'm just crying. I'm just crying my eyes out and I'm looking. I'm trying to just take it all in. And I'm trying to understand it. And I'm just looking up, down, round. I'm just like, what? And I, 
when you look in the mirror, you literally just expect to see your face. And I was looking at something that wasn't my face, and I'm just like, I'm just crying, I'm crying, I'm crying, and my heart's racing. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say to myself, and I was just staring. I just kept looking closer, and I just realised it was me I was looking at because the first thought that went through my mind was just Frankenstein. I just thought it was Frankenstein because half of this side of my head was, honestly, it was shaved down this side. I had staples the whole way down my head, probably, let's say, 30 or 40 staples down my head, all the way down to my ear here. Um, my face looked like a skeleton. I had no, no facial features. Um, I had a hole in my throat, obviously. My left eye was pretty close, and it was pointing upwards, and it was, just wasn't me. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just literally started crying my eyes out. Honestly, it was, it was probably the scariest thing I'd ever seen, in all honesty. So, yeah. I just, so... That's what I was just going to ask you if you were scared because I couldn't imagine like going to the bathroom doing something that you do every day wash your hands look in the mirror like and not understanding who the hell was staring back at me that would be total information overload like I would have had a meltdown too holy yeah so yeah no, again I, I once I sort of took it all in and just realized oh crap like it is me like this is me and then Again, it was just like I just started asking myself questions like, "What have what have these people done to me? Like, what what have they done?" I, I knew it was bad before, but I didn't know it was that bad. Like, I just thought because, in all honesty, like I say, when I was, especially when I got moved to that end of life ward with other people, whatever it was called, I felt pretty good then. I felt pretty alright. I just I was alive and like my family were coming in, they were feeding me, and I just felt alright. I just wanted a I wanted a whole meal, and that was the thing I was looking for, just solid food because I was getting fed these tubes and it was horrible. Like you know the meals they feed you through the tube, and ah, oh, that that was another another topic. But yeah, that they were they were horrible. But I was waiting for that <laughs> solid food, and you know what hospital food like. But yeah, I was pretty happy at that point. I was I was alright because I was alive. But then seeing myself and realizing the extent of the damage. That these people have caused me, I was just like, oh my god! So I just again, I just grabbed the, I grabbed the sink and I just cried my eyes out and I just bawled for again, just just for about ten minutes, just burst out crying and I couldn't breathe and I was just like, oh. and then in the end I was like, right, breathe and then I sort of just got my breath back and then I made my way on my little Zimmer frame back to my bed and obviously I had tears down my eyes, and <laughs> red eyes and all my all my loved ones, friends and family are there and they just see, they knew what was coming anyway, but. They're like, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And they knew exactly what it was. And I was like, me, look at me. I'm horrible. I kept saying, I'm horrible. And they go, no, you're not. Like, you're fine. You, you look fine. And I'm like, I look horrible. And they were obviously trying to make me feel better. <laughs> and again, I sort of just cried for a bit. And then yeah, I I sort of took it all in. And again, they sort of made me feel better. And then to be fair, after that day, that's when I sort of, again, just started progressing to the point where... I again over the next maybe not even a week period now I was started to walk on from the Zimmer frame to crutches to eating solid food to the point where they were like look we're going to send you to a hospital that's closer to your home so they sent me to another hospital transferred me and then I was in there for literally two days this is coming up to the end of December now I was in there for two days and they were they come to me one morning they're like Ryan we're going to send you home so that when your parents get here like you can tell them so I'm like what so Again, I was just like so excited because not long ago I was in this, I was on my deathbed. So my parents arrived that morning and two days How in. How long were you in the hospital for? Yeah, so from going in to say being operated on, he's not going to survive tonight, say you are allowed to go home just under four weeks. So just under a month period. So, oh, wow. Yeah, wow. so I, 
I literally got told that I could get sent home on the second day of being in the second hospital. And my parents arrived and I told them and they were like, no, you can't go home. Like, you're really, really seriously ill, right? And I'm like, no, I can go home. Like, yeah, in, in fairness, I couldn't really speak as well because I still had a hole in my throat. But I was like, I can go home. I can go home. And they wouldn't believe me. And they were like, questioning me. I'm like, they told me, like, go and ask them. So I don't think it was my mum or my dad went and asked uh, the, the doctor. And they were like, you can go home. So they come back and they were like, you can go home. Like, you're allowed to go home. Like, oh, my God. Like, they didn't, they didn't think it was possible because... Even when I went back afterwards, like the, the specialist said, like no way on this earth. Like you've never really heard of it. No one goes in with those sort of injuries that I I had sustained and walks out like nothing had happened. Like it, it just doesn't happen. So when I, again when I went afterwards and went back to see the doctor or the, the surgeon, he said like you are literally a walking miracle. So I don't know who, who was on my side, but someone was looking after me that 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 period in hospital. You know. Yeah, no kidding. You definitely have whether like I don't know what your beliefs are, but like a guardian angel or or a god or the universe, but someone's definitely working with you because this is it's totally crazy. It's totally crazy, like in in the best way possible. Yeah, and I'm just so grateful as well. Like because again, if if my if my dad if my dad never done that, I wouldn't be here to to share my story with you guys. And someone needs to hear my message. So. Yeah, I'm just so grateful that I've been given that chance to come back because, again, I've been writing about this. But honestly, growing up as a, a child, even through to teenage, late teenage years, I'd almost been like this adversity magnet, like cracked my head open multiple times, like broken arms multiple times. Like, I'd always been, I was, I was like a soldier, like a kid. I'd be always been hurting myself. And people say, like, you're like a cat with nine lives. But in all honesty, touch wood, like, I've probably had more than nine lives. But I like to say to people now, like this, this is the only life that I'll need. Like I won't need any more after this because this is the one that I'm going to make count. Oh, you give me goosebumps. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, injuries, um, you've you know gone through your fair share of beatings to the head, but you've also gone through some pretty serious um, hurt in terms of emotional and mental well-being too. Do you want to talk to people about um, your period of depression and how you kind of got yourself through that as well? Yeah, no, of course, I'd love to, because I'll start by saying that it's painful as it was, say, the, the, the TBI, the traumatic brain injury. In all honesty, I was asleep most of it. And when I did come around, yeah, I got some headaches, um, things that lasted, say, um, after the uh, coming out of hospital. It was things like memory loss. I had short-term memory loss for a good few years. Even to the day now, sometimes I suffer, but I've just learned to deal with it and better it. And tiredness. And there wasn't really much pain. There was now and again headaches. I'd have some sort of severe headaches now and again. But to be fair, I could sort of deal with that. But the pain that I suffered emotionally and mentally going through this depression period that I'm about to speak to now was worse than any other pain that I've ever felt in my life. And Again, I've been through some serious pain in my life, uh, broken limbs, uh, you name it. I, I've I've suffered some pain, so I'm sort of what's the word like, sort of immune to pain. At the minute. Like, touch wood. I'm not gonna say I'm immune to anything, but I just feel like <laughs> I, I've been through a lot of pain, so not many things hurt me. Like as much as it might hurt me, I can sort of deal with it to a to an extent, let's say. And it's psychological pain. Yeah. The depression, yeah, it really hit me hard, and yeah, it was a lot worse than any physical pain. Let's let's put it that way. 
So, yeah, going on to that, it was not long after coming out of the brain injury, um, bringing my life back around. I was all about progression because that's what helped me get up and out of, well, just going from, say, because I, I literally dropped down to seven stone. I was just limp, I was just a bit of skin on bone. And, yeah, I had to learn to walk and talk again. I had to learn to just integrate with people and go out and do things and yeah I was scared of doing everything and I didn't know what to do with my life again because I was I was just sat around just just being grateful to be alive so yeah soon after we're talking a matter of months after two three four months after I met which is now my ex-partner and we we obviously got together and for me I was like this is incredible like this is exactly what I needed somebody that doesn't do things that I do and some someone different and someone that I can focus my energy on and someone that I, I like to be around so yeah we we obviously got together and we just enjoyed each other's company and again it's like this, this new life for, for me because everything that she had done for me was like total opposite to the things that I do so I was just like oh my god like this is I've been waiting for this forever so I was so happy so excited so in all honesty now that I look back the whole brain injury just literally I just put it to a side I, I never felt any of the emotions and the pain that was maybe in my mind from that trauma I just I just got rid of it because I was so focused on progressing this relationship because I wanted to do it so we literally spent six and a half six and a half year relationship with each other where she introduced me to say well travel because I'd never been abroad in my life before prior to meeting her so again my eyes literally opened up to the world let's say because I didn't know what it was like and I was scared to go on my first holiday and the first ever trip that I went on with her we went to Turkey and from from London Heathrow uh, to the flight to Antalya in Turkey I literally grabbed I grabbed the seat and I didn't let go for over four hours because I was that petrified because I was scared of doing anything <laughs> my palms are sweating so again it just I was just grateful as well for her for giving me that little nudge that I needed out of my comfort zone to start progressing and I was and progression ultimately equals happiness and I was so happy I was progressing so yeah six and a half years down the line multiple holidays um, each year we went on multiple holidays uh, here there and everywhere you name it we went there and yeah it was great and however many years into the relationship was like so what are we going to do with our lives like are we going to carry on traveling at one point we we was going to actually quit our jobs and go traveling to Australia like backpacking for a year or two and then we know we decided to to get our first house together. So we, we got a mortgage on a house and we bought like matching cars and stuff. And from an out, outsider's point of view, like we, we were both living like this incredible, amazing, perfect life. But things started to go on as they do. And it wasn't so perfect. And I only just obviously realised that mainly for coming out of the relationship. But it got to the point where we, we were just living. We were working paying for a mortgage, going on the holidays, which were great, which which made us feel happy and we enjoyed. But then it got to the point where we were just arguing with each other and both of us were like, wasn't we yeah, we obviously wasn't happy, both of us. And twenty eighteen we literally went on five holidays that year and that was the most we ever went on in uh, any one year. And we literally just got back from my uh, from Florida in at uh, the end of November twenty eighteen. And it was literally a few days after getting back, um, my my partner at the time, ex-partner now, obviously, um, she said to me, like, we should stop spending as much time with each other. And for me, I was just like, we live together. Like, 
we do everything like we, we live in each other's pockets basically like we go to work <laughs> we come back we spend all our time with each other so like for me i, I was just confused i was gutted I, I didn't know what to do with myself and yeah I, I was literally almost trying to trying to force her to be with me then i was like what do i need to do and what do i need to do what can i do trying to i was like being needy you know honestly i was just trying to be around her and the more i was trying to do that she just was pushing me away and like no i need space i need space so in the end, I just realised, like, look, she needs the space. I accepted it and said, like, I'll give you the space. So we was living in the same house with each other because it's a two-bed house. So we lived in separate rooms, just making it amicable. But it was it was horrible, to be fair. And obviously, the more time or the more space that I give her that she asked for, the more she was just getting distant from me, the more further away we was getting from each other. And this is now in December, Christmas come around, and I spent Christmas alone. Waking up on Christmas Day on your own, it's not a, not a nice feeling, to be fair. Um, I went over to my parents, obviously, and mm. at that point, the depression was starting to kick in because I didn't know what to do with myself. And I realised, obviously, now looking back, I wasn't happy in my own in my own body at that, that point in time. I hated my own company and I hated the sound of silence. So, so, yeah, Christmas alone, went over to my parents on Christmas Day. They were trying to make me feel better. No, I wasn't happy. And to be fair, I had Christmas dinner there, opens and presents. I said, look, I'm going to go home because I'm tired. And I literally sat on Christmas Day. I think I sat on the sofa, as I usually done. I just sat, stared at a blank wall and just cried my eyes out. And I've done that most days for months. Um, we, we What were you telling yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was telling myself questions like, I'll never be happy again. Um, I'm never going to own a house again. Um, I'm never, yeah, basically, I'm never going to be happy again. That was the main one. I will never be happy again because, again, looking back, I've realized that you're bullying yourself. To yeah, and tears. yeah, and also, I, I, I become reliant on somebody else to provide me with happiness. Again, looking back on that now, I just want to jump in with this quick before I carry on is that happiness is homemade, like it comes from within, like no person, no car, no phone, no job. Those things, materialistic items, will never, ever make you happiness or bring you happiness. It will make you happy momentarily, momentarily, but it's not true happiness. It's not fulfillment. So say, for instance, if you get a new phone, you're happy with it until the next one comes out, and then you become comfortable. You become normalise it. And you, just, you get used to it, and then you want the next one. There's always want for more, for more. So happiness, is it comes from within. So, yeah, so going back to where I was... Um, I was saying about being, yeah, not enjoying my own company. Go, yeah, going back and crying uh, on Christmas Day. So, yeah, moving on from that. Uh, my birthday was in February. Um, so obviously, month went by. Just sat around doing nothing, going to work, and obviously, I'm I'm living in the house. She's living in the house, and to be fair, she wasn't there half the time. I'd go to work. I, I sort of. I quit the gym because I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to the gym. I didn't want to be around anyone. But also, I didn't want to be by myself too. So it was like a lose lose situation. And every time she got back, I I felt like this sort of happiness inside, but also sadness as well. So it's just again, it was just like two ends of opposite ends of a magnet or whatever. They were just attracting but repelling, and it wasn't working. So um, yeah, yeah, no, it was horrible. So I spent my birthday alone again. Went to my parents. Same thing, just went home, went to my parents for a bit, come home and just sat and cried. Um, however, in March, we had a trip booked to go to Cape Town to do two weeks backpacking. 
we'd booked this way prior to obviously all this happening. We booked it the year before or whatever, and that's what we always done pre-booked all the holidays. So this this backpacking trip um, was going to be like an amazing trip. Like we'd we'd wanted to do it, and it was like going to be this exciting thing. But obviously she didn't want to go on this trip anymore, and I'd never been abroad on my own ever. So. I had all this this fear inside, but I'm like, I could never go to Cape Town on my own. I could never go anywhere on my own, and had all these people around me as well, like telling me all the, the negatives about Cape Town. Like, oh, I heard this person got robbed, and I heard this happened. And to be fair, even where you live, like London, for instance, I'm more scared of going into London and being robbed than going anywhere on this this earth that I've been so far. Like, people always instill fear on you, and they they put their fear on you disguised as love. It's not. It's their fear, and they're trying to pass it on to you. So, again, it could be loved ones, friends, family, etc., putting on their fear onto me, and it almost made me not go. So I was just like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm not going to be able to do this," and I kept telling myself that I wouldn't be able to do it. So I almost didn't go on the on the trip that did sort of flip my like yeah, change my life around really. Ultimately, in the end, and one day one day come around, I said, "Look, I'm gonna I'm not gonna regret not going on this trip. So I'm gonna." I'm going to do this, I'm going to pluck up the courage and I'm going to go. So I did. However, the the weekend before I left, literally two or three days before I was going to leave, a good friend of mine that helped me through, say, the depression, that, that stuck by me and he, he took me out and we'd go, for, we'd go for food every week. Every weekend it, we'd go for a meal with each other and he did look after me, so I'm super grateful for him. And the weekend before going to Cape Town, he's like, look, I'm gonna, we're going to go out for food, we're going to have a good time. And gonna see you off sort of thing. Not not not, not I'm never gonna come back, but just gonna say like have fun sort of thing. So we 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 always used to book yeah, it like, the week trip. before. Yeah, we used to book it the week before, but none of us booked it. I don't know why we just never booked it. So um got to the the Saturday morning and he goes, uh, where should we go? I said I don't know. Where do you wanna go? And we were like, I'm in an R in and so let's just try and book somewhere. He called every single restaurant in the in the local town. Nowhere had a table for eight o'clock. Every single place we called, even the most expensive restaurant, no table for eight o'clock. And we're like, what are we going to do? So we tried one more. We tried this restaurant. We booked it. And they were like, yeah, of course you can come in. So uh, I got an Uber from mine, picked him up on the way because he lived on the way to the restaurant, picked him up. We go in and uh, the waitress takes us to our table. And as we're walking to the table, I'm just looking down and just like, whatever. And he's quite a big lad. And as he sits down on the table... He sits down, but the table behind him, the head of my ex-partner, the one that said that she wanted to be single, her head popped up, sat with another guy. And I've never seen this guy in my life before. And I'm just like, oh, so as much as I was over. Are you kidding? No, no, no. So <laughs> this is a true story, right? <laughs> but in all honesty, yeah, oh I see it. Oh, my gosh. And there and then, it literally just it like shattered my heart. But also, on the other hand, this huge sense of relief just lifted off my shoulder and this huge weight just was like, oh my God, because every, all those thoughts I've been thinking for ages in my mind, it was just true. It was there and I could just see it with my own eyes. So, yeah, I wasn't mean to her at all. I just told her how I felt, uh, what I've been suffering and just, yeah, I just, I just told her how I felt, just but not not nasty at all. So I uh, shook the guy's hand and just said, like, fair play, good luck and I, I walked out of there and I just took a deep breath and it's pretty cold outside and I just took a deep breath of fresh cold air and I just felt like a new man. I was just like, I can do anything. I can do anything now. Like, this is my life now. So, 
I said to my mate, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Cape Town. I'm gonna have the best time ever," and I did. I booked it for a few days later, and I I went, and yeah, I got to Cape Town. And as I'm no, as I'm flying to Cape Town, I'm thinking all these thoughts like, "Oh my God, like you're doing it." And I'm on the plane then. I'm thinking there's no going back now. So I booked a hostel for two weeks, and this is the first time that I stayed in a hostel by myself. First time that I've gone anywhere by myself abroad. Got there, got to Cape Town. Again, I won't speak about this too much, but basically I had the best two weeks of my life. Literally, I just was in this hostel. I met so many like-minded individuals. Like We were all chatting. They made me feel comfortable. They made me feel happy. They made me feel like belonged, like belonging. Um, Yeah, they made me feel like a part of basically a family. And all of that hurt and pain, it it just went away for those two weeks. And I just felt so good about myself and I just thought you know what you could do anything I did push myself out of my comfort zone I started to do things I started like the third or the second evening I I climbed up the um, Lion's Head Mountain I climbed up that at whatever two three four o'clock in the morning or whatever it was we we was climbing up it in pitch darkness to see the sunrise and I was like this is incredible this is what life's all about and I was like I can do anything Uh, I went up uh, Table Mountain I was like this is incredible like I never thought I could do this stuff. I was gonna say it's just so interesting too because um, I always talk about this um the this theory on on the podcast like the V theory, yeah. Where you guys can't see right now, but I have my wrists touching and I'm making a V. If you don't know what a V looks like, Google the alphabet. So <laughs> when you get put in these situations where it's like you know you go to a restaurant, last choice, not by your like just by that's how it panned out last choice restaurant you go there and run into your ex who's seeing someone new you were depressed as fuck you could have literally spazzed out got more depressed wanted to fight that dude or like you know you could have let it totally rock your world and put you in a way worse spot but you chose the other path where it's like okay i can do anything and you started telling yourself completely new scripts which led to you know having an unreal time going on vacation going to climb mountains so I just thought like that's really great because you know I think sometimes people um we can be victim for much longer than we need to be you know what I mean yeah and it's it's his choice right because like you said like what what stuck out for me there what you just said about so many people and they did say to me like why didn't you punch him and all this like what's that what's that gonna solve it's not gonna solve anything yeah it's not gonna solve solve anything some people like yeah I would have dragged him out and punched him a few okay all right then I'm sure you would have. Like, what would have done? And also, Ryan, with your track record, you would have broken a bone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I probably would have. I probably would have. (laughs) But yeah, what's it going to cause? And also, from what I've been through as well, he he could have been like the biggest guy, and I could be the smallest guy. It doesn't matter. One single punch can kill someone as well. So why would you want to do that? And it's not going to solve anything anyway. So yeah, I just literally I said my words and I just went and I just thought, well, I'm going to do me, and that was the best thing to do because. Usually in life, the way that you look at the issue is the issue. So if you can change your thinking, you can change your life. So if you look at it from that negative point of view or a victim point of view, you're always going to be a victim. But you've got the choice to be the victor of your past or the things that happened to you. And if you're still suffering now, that, that you're a volunteer of your past. And it's, it's sad to say, but you're a volunteer because it's a choice. It's a choice whether you want to be the victim or the victor. So you've got to change your thinking. So... Yeah, I decided to like say obviously go to Cape Town. Brilliant two weeks, and met some amazing people that I'm still friends with now. And I, yeah, I just felt on top of the world. I honestly felt like a new man. I'm flying back uh, to London, and I'm just like, 
I feel so good about myself. I feel so, so good. And all I was just thinking was just all the memories about Cape Town, in all honesty. I landed, got an Uber back to my parents. I got a lift back to my old house. And in all honesty, I have my backpack on and come to the front door, open the door, go in, drop my backpack. Sound of silence. I hate silence. Or I hated silence. I just burst out crying. Cried my eyes out. I just broke down. I literally broke, oh, everything went and I just cried my eyes out. Because I'm just in a house. It's just nothing. There's nothing there. Obviously, my partner didn't come back after that, that incident, like seeing each other. And I was just like, this is me now. Until this house is sold, this is me. This is my life. Two of the things that I hate, being on my own and the sound of silence. What, 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 what am I going to do with myself? I'm surrounded by two of the worst things that I think of in life. And that is my life. And that is when the depression literally just kicked right in there and then. And first of all, it was like Groundhog Day. It was like I was doing the same thing. Wake up, cry. Most of the time I wouldn't eat breakfast. I'd go to work. They they knew the situation, but they were trying to help me as much as they can. But in fairness, the people, the people are closer to you, work friends, loved ones, family, etc. Friends even. They can give you their best advice and suggestions, but they're not always the best people to, to speak to. As much as they were trying to help me, it wasn't helping me. And, yeah, it was it was Groundhog Day. Every day was the same, to the point where it wasn't even Groundhog Day anymore. It was a downhill spiral. And I was getting worse and worse. And I remember some nights I wouldn't even eat food. I wouldn't eat food. I wouldn't shower. So my personal hygiene was suffering. My mental health was suffering. And even my my... My like physical body was suffering because I quit the gym as well. I didn't want to go to the gym and just lie to people and pretend that I was okay when I really wasn't. Because when I was depressed, I was the best liar. People would say, how are you? And I'd be like, fine, yeah. And it was just a fake smile. And then, yeah, most nights you'd either catch me just sat, sat up all night and just crying. Uh, some nights I would just, I would, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I'd stand in the shower. And I'd, I'd either stand in the shower singing. I, just, I don't know why, I'd just sing songs. Cause you sound quite good in the shower, I think, as well. Um, so yeah, I, I just sing. I sing. I sing. <laughs> I also do this exactly. Yeah, I know. Right? You sound like a pro, right? Get get me on the voice. So yeah, I was singing in the shower. It just made me feel good but for, for maybe a few minutes. And then if not, I'd be. I'd sit. I'd put the shower on. And I'd just sit on the on the bath floor and I'd just cry my eyes out in the shower. And sometimes I'd hours I'd sit there for hours just crying in the shower. I come out like a. I put on 50 years because I just have wrinkles all over my body. But yeah, that, that happened that happened for <laughs> like most of Yeah, exactly. So that happened for a long time. And then I remember as well, for this is maybe two, three, four, I can't even remember, week period. But I would literally sit up and um, this isn't a joke either. I'd sit up over 24 hours. I wouldn't have a single ounce of sleep because I was so focused on trying to find some sort of external happiness. I was Googling how to be happy. On my phone, so mm. bearing in mind, pitch black room, bright white light from your phone. My eyes are like mm, like a zombie, and I'm googling how to be happy, and I'm clicking <laughs> it on every single website on my phone, and I'll just read, 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 read because I was that desperate for happiness. I thought it would come from some sort of external source, and again, now that I look back, happiness is homemade. It comes from within. You can't find happiness in anything or anybody. It comes from here first. So, yeah, I was de- that desperate. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was just downhill spiralling to the point where it was that it was that bad. I went from 
my weekend's been sat at home crying my eyes out the whole weekend, sat in bed, sometimes I wouldn't even get up, I'd go grab a glass of water and I wouldn't get, get out of bed until the Monday, till I had to go back to work. Or, it'd be polar opposite then, to the point I said to myself, I'm going to go and have some sort of happiness, I'll go out night, night clubbing, I'll, I'll be the last one in the club, the lights will be on, I'll still be there, just basically pissed out of my face. I, I turned to drink, I turned to drugs, I've never done drink much, I've maybe drink a handful of times a year, now I'm drinking a handful of times a day, a week even. And, yeah, drugs, never been into drugs. All of a sudden I'm doing drugs, I'm sniffing cocaine because I saw that happiness on, on people's faces and I thought, maybe I need some sort of, that'd be the source of my happiness. And maybe it was for an hour until it ran out. And then, yeah, I went maybe 10 steps down to where I was before and I was just digging this ditch deeper and deeper and deeper. And then so I go out on a Saturday night, do that, Sunday morning, I'm 10 steps back from where I was before. So this ditch is getting deeper and deeper and deeper to the point I was like rock bottom. I was like, I can't go any further. Like, and this is like scary times now for me. Like I thought it was going through my mind and yeah, it, it was, it was tough time. So I thought, you know what? I don't know where it comes from, but I said, I need to take myself to go and get help. So I called the doctors. I said, I, ne- I need an appointment. I went and saw my local GP and in all honesty, it didn't make me feel too good about myself because it was like they didn't want to hear what I had to say. I just needed someone to listen to me, like a professional. And they, they literally just basically prescribed me with antidepressants. They said, you'll feel a lot worse before you feel a lot better, but you will feel better. And I was like, well, I don't know how worse I can feel because I felt like I was at the worst at that point. So what's going to happen if I feel any worse? So, I went away, I took the prescription away with me and I showed my parents, I showed my work colleagues that have also suffered from um, depression and taken antidepressants even. And I said, I showed him, like my manager, I showed him, he's like, nah, that's way too strong, like you shouldn't be on that type of medication. And I was like, I don't know, like I don't know anything about this. So I waited and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back. So I didn't get the antidepressants and I went back the next week or the next few days and I said, look, is there another way around this? Like, I, I need something else because honestly felt that I hadn't exhausted all avenues yet. So I said, is there another way, like something sort of less harsh like that I can do without taking the, the antidepressants? She was like, oh, well, there's CBT counselling, like where you talk to someone over the phone. I was like, this is perfect. Like, this is brilliant. Like, that's all I need someone to speak to. So again, I think it was about a three or a four week period to wait for this. And I'm like, oh my God. And that period there, in all honesty, that was the worst I've ever felt. And like, this is a trigger warning, anyone listening, like, the only reason I didn't take my life, honestly, was because I was scared, scared of dying, like, scared of dying, I've been scared of dying for, throughout my whole childhood, only up to the point I'm not anymore, and I'll go on to that soon, but, yeah, I was literally petrified of, petrified of dying, so the only reason I didn't take my life was because of the fear of death, but if I didn't fear death, I, w- I would have, 100% I would have taken my life, so, yeah, I was at rock bottom then, and then, I yeah I done I done the CBT and I felt yeah I felt I felt worse I did feel worse actually that that was before these feelings but yeah before the the worst feelings done the CBT however many weeks later and for me it didn't work personally it didn't work I've heard people where it does work but it was very scripted and it was like any time that I deviated from the path they went straight back to the script and I felt like I wasn't being listened to so that that is when the point now where I was rock bottom, where the, the thoughts were going around in my mind, like, what am I going to do? Because I just felt like I couldn't go on anymore. And then that weekend was like the, the day that flipped the switch that turned my life around. And 
It was just like any other weekend. I was there, sat there crying, sat on the sofa crying, didn't have anything to eat, just didn't know what to do with my weekend. Basically waiting to go back to work, to not enjoy work for another week, to do the same again. And I'm sat there bawling my eyes out, and one single thought went through my mind that literally, ultimately, got me to the place where I am today. And if it wasn't for that thought, I wouldn't probably be here to share this message. And that single thought said, could I live with the thought of dying with regrets? And in all honesty, I don't know where that thought come from. But I held on to it like a magnet. I just, it just stuck. And I just repeated it to myself. And I asked myself the question, could I live with the thought of dying with regrets? And the honest answer was no. So I started to reflect on my life. And I started to look at all the obstacles that I've already overcome. Obviously, the brain injury. And I was like, you know what? That That's a lot worse than the depression. As much as the depression was hard, I've literally come back from being told, you will not wake up. I can get through this depression. So I, I started to just realise, like, I have got over some sort of shit in my life and I can do this. So there and then I started to just look at, sort of count my blessings rather than counting my problems. And I started to look what I had in my life because I was in that I was in that house and I was thinking, you know what, like the nightmare that I'm going through, like someone, it'd be a dream for somebody else. Like this would be a dream for somebody else. They would... Maybe people that are living on the street with no shoes or no jumper, no coat, and it's raining. Like They would love to be in that position I'm in. So I started to practice gratitude. In all honesty, I didn't know what gratitude meant only till however long after. So I I started to just look at everything that I had around me. I had food, I had clothes, I had warm house. And I started to just write down sort of like the pits and the peak of my week and things that I'm grateful for. And by doing this gratitude list every morning, every night, it almost seemed like I'd become a positivity magnet and I started to attract these small positive things into my life. And before you know it, I literally, I like to say that I got a release date for the prison that I was in. And this was, you need to sell your house by this date because I wanted to sell my house. At the start, I wanted to just sell it and get up and get gone. But as much as I wanted to sell it, I didn't want to sell it as soon, but I wanted to keep it, but I couldn't afford to keep it because we was half and half on this thing. So... She didn't want to sell it. It was down to her terms and conditions for whatever reason. And um, yeah, I literally suffered for about five, five, I think it was about five months in that prison, like I say, that I was in. But that, again, looking back, the only prison that I was on, that I was in at the time, and that I'll only ever be in, and this goes to anyone, the only prison that you're only ever in is the one that you've created in your own mind. And I didn't realise that at the time. So I was stuck in that prison. And had this release date for the prison to get out of the prison and just imagine it you've done I don't know 20 years in prison and they're like you can go imagine like the feeling that these people must have must be joy excitement but also fear what am I going to do with myself so I'm a mixture of emotions and yeah. basically I left it everything to the last minute the day come that I had to be moved out by 12 o'clock because they were going to be moving in the next day left everything to the last day went to work got back at 6 p.m I hadn't moved anything. I had a van, empty van, and I'm rushing around. I'm sweating. I'm dragging sofas down. Everyone asked to help me. I just said, no, I'll be okay. And I should have asked for the help, to be fair, but I didn't because I didn't want to trouble anyone. But now that I look back, I definitely should have asked for the help. And, yeah, I, I struggled. I, got, I loaded the van up. And then, yeah, I just, again, practiced gratitude. I said thank you to the house for everything that it served. Like, it was good times as well as the bad times. There was a lot of good times there, too. Uh, I shut the door, 
I posted the key back through the letterbox and I just sort of said thank you and just thought, you know what, I'm going to lock everything in there, all the emotions, all the memories in that home. And this is now the different chapter to my life. So I got in the van and I started driving back. Again, that, that those emotions just started to come up and I was like, oh my God, I just realised that my life now is down to me and me only. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And I'm driving down the motorway and I'm I'm thinking, what am I going to do? But I need to set myself some sort of goal because progression equals happiness. And I said this earlier. So I set myself a goal to visit a different country every month for a complete year. And I just, I don't know where it comes from, but I'm not going to set this goal. So I'm driving and all of a sudden I felt happy and joyful. And the radio went up and I'm tapping the steering wheel. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And went back to my parents, obviously unloading my stuff. That weekend... I went out for the very first time in my local area where I hadn't been for, say, seven years. I thought, I don't want to get back into old habits of pubs, clubs and stuff. I'll just show my face. So I'd see some people, friends from school, people I just knew from school. And there's, there's a group of us. And one of the guys, we was all speaking. And, um, yeah, they, they were saying, like, a few of the guys were like, so what are you going to do with your life now? Obviously, you split up with your partner, sold your house. What are you going to do? Fuck it, your parents. And I was like, yeah. I want to visit a different country every month for a year. And they were like, what? And some people were quite excited and happy for me. Other people were a bit like, uh, like just thought I was just joking. And this one yeah, guy, like, what the hell? Yeah, and this, this one guy that's obviously drunk, but I believe people speak the truth when they're drunk. He literally just said, how is a fool with a head like yours going to travel the world on his own? And I was just like, uh, and I didn't know what to say. And then I thought about it for, however many seconds, 20, 30 seconds, and I said, you know what, I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it, and I put, just put my drink down, got a taxi, Uber or whatever it was, local taxi, and I just got, went back to my parents, and I, there and then I just booked a, a one-way trip to Croatia for like two days' time or three days' time, I went into work on the Monday, and I told my boss, I'm going to Croatia, backpacking for two weeks, and he's like, yeah, go for it, that's what started my journey, and I did, because I was happy. Progression equals happiness. I was happy. I went every single month for, well, for seven months, I think it was, up until February 2020, where COVID kicked in. I was in Rome. This whole pandemic was coming about. And as much as it was scary, I thought, you know what, it's not that bad, because some people were like, it's just like a cough. So I was just like, yeah, let's go for it. Went to Rome. Incredible place. Spent the weekend there. However, on my last day, it was just like, things were just not normal you could just tell the atmosphere was odd and off i was like i need to get home this don't look great here like it just didn't seem right and i'll get back to the airport rome airport and i'm coming in the airport and i'm just like there's just all this news on i'm like this don't look great and then move back to uk heathrow airport again and i see spread across the news coronavirus and i'm like oh my god like this whole pandemic was just coming alive and what and again it just filled me with fear and I was scared. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I literally got back to my parents. And yeah, I started, I had, I went from depressed back to my parents, done seven months worth of traveling to extreme anxiety. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Basically, I was thinking I'm going to die. And I was just all of a sudden like, I need to quit my job. I need to go traveling. I need to go and do all the things that I wanted to do because I'm going to die. And that's all I kept thinking. I am going to die. Like that fear of death kick back in I'm just oh my god I didn't know what to do I went to my dad I'm gonna quit my job next week I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna go traveling he's like there's a global pandemic you can't go anywhere I'm like I need to do it like urgency that there's this huge sense of urgency and just to go and get all this stuff done 
but then I calmed down, I, I, I slowed down a bit, went back to work, obviously pandemic's coming, I, I managed to have some time off of work, and that that time there for me was a blessing, and it just made me reevaluate my life and just think, right, what am I going to do in my life? I can't go travelling, I can't quit my job in a minute, I can't do this, what do I want to do? So I started to build the foundations, so I said to myself, how, what can I do at the minute to 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 do something for me but also for other people because I realised that this global pandemic people it was unprecedented times and people were struggling so I asked myself the question how can I use the knowledge that I have gained from facing and overcoming the adversities in my life to help others become the very best versions of themselves and to help other people so by doing that I said I need to I need to start putting what I know and what I've been through online become vulnerable share it with other people for me this was so scary because i didn't like to speak to a camera i didn't let, like to let people know what i've been through the head injury because I, I thought people were coming after me and i was scared so i thought i can't be vulnerable i can't be open and honest and my true authentic self on online i can't do this but i did i had to take that leap because your comfort zone is where where your dreams go to die like your comfort zone should be called your danger zone so i thought i need to become un- uncomfortable and become vulnerable yeah it really should Mm. yeah so I did and um, I took that leap and I started to just spread my message and I thought I need to do this online so Instagram was the way to go what could be the name had to think about it fool around the world the guy called me a fool I like traveling there we go let's just do it this is like a hobby for me so I started to become vulnerable I started to spread my message share what I've been through what I've overcome how I overcome it I had some amazing feedback and I was like you know what I think this is something pretty special to me like whether this lasts forever this could just be like the catalyst for change like this could be the start of something new and this could be like the, the road that I'm going to go down in life and I did I started to do it throughout 2020 I started to do it and become vulnerable I was like I really want to do this full time if I can I don't know how I'm going to do it I don't know how I'm going to make money off this but I had this huge desire to share my message and help other people and the more I become vulnerable the more I got confident and the more I wanted to do it and help other people. And towards the end of 2020, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna have to start. I'm gonna have to start writing a book because I'd always said to myself, I could write a book on my life. So many people, by connecting with them online, said you could write an amazing book on your life. So I did. I just started to write things down. I thought I need a title for this book, and I just come up with a title. Could I live with the thought of dying with regrets? Because that was the that was the thought that went through my mind that literally turned my life around 180. So I did. Towards the end of 2020, I just literally just started to write, write and write and write. And I'm still doing it now. Like the book isn't published at all yet, but I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm 90 odd pages in still at the minute. I'm just adding to it on a daily, couple of days a week sort of thing. And yeah, I thought there's people out there that need to hear my message. So yeah, become vulnerable. And I started to share it even more and more and more throughout 2020. And then 2021 come around. And this pandemic's still going on. I'm still just spreading this online as a hobby. I thought I need to I need to level up again because again progression equals happiness. And I'll just become like flatlined. As much as I was helping people online and doing what I enjoyed, it just become like just it was just enjoyable. Like it wasn't yeah, it was just a hobby for me. So I thought, how can I just take this one step up again? And I, I, honestly, I didn't know. So all of a sudden, I'm not sure if you heard of it anyone that's listening clubhouse come around the amazing new app clubhouse right so this for me was just a blessing in disguise and if it wasn't for clubhouse 
I, would, I wouldn't go on to tell you what I'm going to tell you now. So, Clubhouse come and it's invite only it was. So, I'm thinking, how can I get myself on this app? Because it sounds like I can just network with some incredible people that I never get the chance to network with at all in my life. And I did. I finally found a way of getting onto this amazing app. So, I got on there and I was like, there were some people on there. Celebrities, people that I looked up for years. And I'm thinking, how can I have a chance to just listen to these people? Like... If I wanted to take myself to one of their courses or one of their seminars, it cost me hun- it cost me thousands of pounds to speak to these people. And I could listen to them all day, every day if I wanted to. So I did. I was going to work as soon as I come home or even on my lunch break. So I was on my lunch break, headphones on for an hour, tea break in the morning, half an hour, headphones on. I was just absorbing all this information from these people, like these masters. I was like, this is incredible. So maybe, let's say, a month into Clubhouse. I network with a guy called AJ and he's in a position where I just look at him and I'm like, I'd love to be in his position because before, prior to say when I was depressed and stuff, I was asking people questions of what I should do with my life. And these people weren't qualified to give me the the advice. Like they weren't in the places where I wanted to be. These were people say down the local pub and they were just yeah. in a job that they didn't really enjoy. But I'm asking these people for, for advice. Never ask for people for advice that are not qualified, not in the place where you want to be. Like if you wouldn't swap your life for their life, you wouldn't trade positions. Like never ask them people for uh, like advice. So again, I'm listening to these people where I would happily swap places with. And I managed to network with this guy called AJ. And he said, let's get on a Zoom because your story is incredible. So I went to work. I rushed back to get home for six o'clock so I can set my computer up for Zoom and stuff. And I did. And we were on a Zoom conversation. And he told him my story again. He's like, look, look, Ryan, your story is incredible. He's like, there's so many people that need to hear this. What is your plan? I'm like, AJ, look, um, <laughs> so my plan is like, I'm going to quit my job one day and I'm going to travel the world. because I love travel. And he's like, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, I can. And I said, I'll just do it and I'll see what happens after that. He's like, nah, he went, that's so selfish. And I'm like, so the first time someone's ever sort of said that to me, I'm like, what? And he's like, Right, think of it this way. It's like your story is incredible. Think how many lives are out there, people that need to hear your story, people that have, say, suffered a TBI and don't know how to turn their life around, people that are depressed, they're stuck in that rut that you're stuck in and they don't have the tools to get up and out of that ditch that you was in, but you managed to do it. But there's people here that are, today, they're thinking about taking their life, but you've got the tools, you've got the voice and you've got the story that they need to hear to get them up and out of that ditch and get them progressing in their life. And that really, for me, just made me go whoa whoa I've never even thought about that there's people out there that need to like it's life or death for them people and if they heard my voice they could change their life around and I sort of I sort of dulled my significance like I sort of almost impounded my importance and I was just like I'm I'm not nothing to no one like as much as I've got a cool story like it don't mean anything to anyone like and even when I was doing it online before Clubhouse I was like yeah people like give me some good feedback and they're like oh it's nice and stuff but I'm not helping anyone, or was I? But I really thought about it and thought, you know what, like, what he said there is so profound and so true. I need to go down this route because there is. And again, this is decides the di- difference from, say, passion and purpose. My passion is to travel the world and just to speak to people. I like speaking to people too and watching people and just, yes, people watching. I like doing that, travelling. That's my passion, but that's for me. But through adversity, I found my purpose, and your purpose is for other people. And I was like, you know what, I've really found my purpose here. So 
He's like, so when are you going to do this? Like, when are you going to quit your job and go follow your purpose? This is your purpose. Because I said to him, like, I know this is my purpose. And this is what, going back to earlier, the uh, out-of-body experience, this is what I've been sent for. Again, I don't, I don't know what I believe in. I believe in the universe. I believe in something. There's something out there. Someone knows more than us. And I believe this is, like, my calling. And this is what I'm made for. I'm like, it's all, it's all, all the puzzle, pieces of the puzzle, puzzle are just coming together. And I'm just like, it's all just making sense. It's all getting clarity in my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, I need to go after this. Because could I live with the thought of dying with regrets? My own book that I'm writing. I need to eat my own dog food. I need to go for this. Because it's all right me going online and spreading my message and sharing all these quotes with people and what I've gone through and what I've overcome. But if I'm like, yeah, you need to do this, you need to do this and that. But I'm just like, I'm so scared of following my purpose. What sort of example does that set to anybody? So. I'm just like, I need to, yeah, I need to do this. I need to eat my own words and go for it. So he's like, when are you going to do it? He just left it at that. And I was just like, I was frozen. and I was just like, I don't know. I just went, I don't know. And he's like, so when are you going to do it? I was like, I just kept saying, I don't know. I don't know, AJ, I don't know. And he's like, well, we need to think of a date. He said, because sort of a goal without a date isn't anything. It's just a dream. And without taking the actions, it isn't anything. You need to have a, an exact date of when you're going to do this. I'm like, I, I, I really don't know. I don't know. And I was just panicking then. I was nervous. I was shaking inside and anxiety. And he goes, all right, uh, what's your date of birth or whatever? And he'd done some dates like that, of, date of birth of a loved one or something. And then he went, right, 26th of March, you're going to quit your job and follow your dreams. I'm like, what? He's like, 26th of March, you're going to quit your job you're going to hand your notice in and you're going to go after this. This is your mission. This is your purpose. This is everything for you. This is what you've been born to do. I'm like, I know it is. And he's like, yeah, 26th of March. I'm like, look down at my screen on my laptop. I was like, that's one week's time exact. That's a week from now. He's like, yeah, are you committed to do it? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I was just, I was just shivering and I'm like shaking. And I was like, oh, my God, I've said it. I can't go back on that because what will I look like? I can't go back. And he's like, OK, I'll speak to you. I'll speak to you throughout the week. And I didn't message him for the first few days. I was like, I was scared to message him in case he's, he said, like, have you done it yet or anything? And I didn't want to message him. And then for whatever reason, we, we messaged each other. And he said, like, are you prepared? I'm like, yeah, I am. I am. I am. But I, to be fair, I really wasn't. I, I was, but I wasn't. So I was still sat on the fence like, I could just delete this whole Instagram profile and just forget about everything and just go back to normal. Like, what is normal? Go back to just mediocre, living that life that I wasn't happy with anyway. Just living that uncomfortably comfortable life that wasn't that wasn't doing anything for me. It wasn't serving me. It wasn't serving others either. But it got to the got to the twenty sixth. I'm sure I don't know if it was a Friday or whatever it was. I'm sure it was a Friday. And yeah, I'm gonna go to my boss. Can I have a meeting this evening after work? And he he knew what was coming anyway, but he said, yeah, sure. And then I sat down on the table and I said, I'm quitting my job. I'm handing my notice in. He's like, I'm really proud of you. So what are you going to do? And I sort of told him, he's like, yeah, no, he goes, I'm really happy for you. Like, I'm really, really happy. And bearing in mind, I've only ever had the one job. That's amazing. Only ever had the one job. I've been there for over 13 years. Just stayed comfortable in there. Earning a wage just to, to pay for stuff that I didn't really want and didn't really need. What, to impress other people or just to live this life that someone else told me to live? I never let your wage be your cage ever. And I was, I was just living that comfortable life, taking an income, and I wasn't happy. And this is a chance to just say, right, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take the risk, I'm gonna take the leap, and 
hopefully the net will appear. And if it doesn't appear, I'm going to have to soon learn how to swim. And yeah, my boss was like, yeah, go for it. Like, you got this. So yeah, I walked away from that and I'm like, oh my God, this big sense of relief. And I'm like, yeah, I've done it. I've done it. And yeah, I did. And I took the sacrifice because it was for me, at one point I was just going to say, use a little bit of savings that I've, I've, I've got up to say, look, I'm going to go and put a mortgage on another place and just live this job that I didn't really enjoy doing. But at the end of it, I'm going to have this amazing, I'm going to have a home as like my, my retirement pot. But what if I die before that? What if I die before that? What if, the, I don't know, anything could happen? You almost put that padlock back on yourself and you become comfortable. So if you don't sacrifice for what you want, then what you want becomes a sacrifice. So now was my time to sacrifice for what I wanted. And it was to not move out, to not go and get a flat, to, to move out or go and rent somewhere, etc. It was to move back to my parents and be grateful that I've had a roof over my head living at my parents. And say, look, I'm going to go all in on this and I'm going to follow my dream and follow my mission, follow my purpose, follow my vision. And if, maybe if I, even now to the day, I still think about it. If I don't. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, who, who knows, how many years down the line, if I don't own my own house, who cares, at least I can say, I took the uncomfortable action to follow my purpose, because the biggest, the biggest risk you can ever take in life is not taking any risk at all, because if you don't, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything, so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I've got to go for this, like, this is my calling, and if I don't do it now, I will work that job that I haven't enjoyed for a long time, for the rest of my life, until I die. I did, I took the leap, and yeah, Clubhouse come around, and I just started to spread my message on Clubhouse, so far so good, I've managed to network with some incredible people, like yourself, um, this is all over social media obviously, I've had all of my time just to spend on my own, just to just focus on me and improving me, becoming a better version of myself, and by doing this, I can then help other people, so I like to say to people, I have quit my one and only unfulfilled day job of over 13 years to follow my purpose, mission and vision, which is to use the knowledge that I've gained from facing and overcoming the adversities in my life to help others become the very best versions of themselves, to have positive impact on over a billion lives and to be the beacon of light that the world wakes up to. And when I say this to people, some people are like, wow, that's incredible. Like, you're definitely going to do this. A billion lives. And other people are like, you'll never impact a billion lives. But that gives me fuel because the thing is, in life, I never give up. I've never given up on anything. I've never even given up on myself. So if I say to myself, I'm going to set a goal, I always see it out to the end because I'd rather live what is than think what if. Like I wouldn't want to get to the end of my life with those regrets because the pain of fear and failure is temporary, but the pain of regret lasts a lifetime. And I know for anybody that's listening right now, they may, may be going, look, I can't quit my job. I can't do this. And I'm not saying, look, you need to go tomorrow and do what I don't say to your boss. Right, I'll quit my job to follow my, my dream. You might not even know what your dream is. But you can start today just by taking those small steps, those small daily actions to progress and move you closer to where you want to go. So start by setting your GPS. Start by setting your target where you want to go. Just start taking those daily steps to get you closer and closer and closer. Because we've all heard of the journey of a thousand miles starts with one single step. And it's true. And the hardest step is always the first step. But also remember that it is the most rewarding step. Because if you don't take that step, you're not going anywhere. 
So that's my journey. And I want to say thank you for everybody to listening to me today. What steps can our listeners take to follow you on your journey? Of course, that's a great question. So if you want to follow me at the moment, the best place to catch me is on Instagram at fool around the world. Um, send me a DM if you want to know anything and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. I absolutely love following your page. I love watching your stories too because you always ask the question like, do you agree or do we, do you disagree with this? And with inspiring quotes. And honestly, for those of you guys listening today, definitely give them a follow because if you need any inspiration like in your in your daily practices, this is definitely where you're going to get it. So thank you so much for coming today. I, you're, I love listening to your story even like and talking to you. You're such a bright light and you're just a ball of energy and you are definitely going to reach that goal. And I know I and all of my listeners are going to help you get there as well because this is fantastic. I am behind absolutely everything that you have said in this podcast. So I'm grateful to have you here today. Yeah, and I'm grateful for you having me because, like I say, some podcasts are shorter, some are longer. Today, we've gone over, I said I'll do it for an hour, but to be fair, we've almost been an hour and a half. I've loved every single yeah. minute of it, and I appreciate you for giving me the space and the time to, to spread my message and spread my words. So thank you for anybody that is listening to this and that will listen to this as well. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you take anything away from this podcast, I hope it it, it is, I'm stuttering. I hope that it is that you feel inspired after you press end. And please do not forget that your blue is beautiful. Thanks, guys. Peace. Here's my outro. I hope that you liked this podcast. Here's my outro. I hope that you laughed. Oh, we're still going. Da, 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 outro. Here's my outro. Uh, something that rhymes. <laughs>